Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, Super Achievers. For this episode, I'm interviewing Kristen Donnelly. Kristen is a four-time TEDx speaker, international empathy educator, and researcher with two decades of experience helping people understand the beauty and difference and the power in inclusivity. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I, you have an interesting background. I'm a, I mean, pretty cool, four times TEDx speaker. So can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? I'd be delighted. So I have been interested in people and how they work both alone and together for my entire existence, as far as I can tell. And professionally, I have training as a youth worker a uh, social worker, a anthropologist, a social sociologist, um, and as well as a business owner. It's a very eclectic kind of bucket. But I spent a lot of my time in my 20s in particular, either with helping professionals or being a helping professional myself. And so that has led me to realize that we all have super siloed understandings of the world in our various professions. Yeah. Um, Because then I went back into higher ed and higher ed is a whole other can of worms. And I have my family over here running a business. And there were so many times that I spent my life translating between these giant groups of people that I realized that what we really need to do is learn how to ask better questions of ourselves and each other. We need to have less assumptions and ask more questions. So I I did my PhD in asking questions. It's largely what it was. I investigated (laughs) a particular group of people and asked questions for a whole year. That's what a a social science PhD is anyway. Yeah. And did that for for a while, had the privilege of doing that, finished my PhD in 2015. I did it in Northern Ireland at the Queen's University Belfast and uh, married a Northern Irish guy while I was over there, which was not in the plan. (laughs) And picked up a best friend and a husband and wrote a book. It was a very eventful five years. Wow. We looked at where we would fit best and we decided to move to be near my family so that my brother and I could take over our family manufacturing um, network of companies. So we emigrated from Belfast to Philadelphia, my husband and I, and I started to work in the family business and uh, realized a whole lot of things all at once. It was... it's I really resonate with the line from Hamilton where Angelica says, I, I realized three fundamental truths at the exact same time. Uh-huh. Um, I realized that I was going to be significantly more involved with this business than I thought I was going to be or all growing up. And that I was happy with that. That it was my calling um, that we needed to get creative about what my f- place would be. And that I could not do leadership the way my dad did. Yeah. And that all really coalesced in the spring of 2016 when we were on a family vacation and my dad had a massive cardiac event while we were on vacation. Oh, wow. And he's fine now. He resurrected. um, And we've had him. I mean, he's as fine as you can be when you've had like five heart attacks and you've lived under constant stress and you built a company with your bare hands. You took it from one company to seven, um, almost entirely alone. And he's a genius. And it literally killed him. And so my brother and I said, no, we're not doing this. We're, we're just not. And we've over the last several years 
done a lot of intentional transitioning to figure out how we can structure the servant leadership that we have in our company. Um, and my posture of wanting to take what I've learned and help the world and what can that look like. And so one of it is that we're not just in manufacturing anymore. We've diversified and I run a division that is empathy education where my best friend that I met in Belfast and I spend our time helping people understand themselves and each other so we can all have fuller human experiences. We can ask questions and make less assumptions and have the difficult conversations and do all of those things. First of all, because that's life-giving for me. Second of all, because I think it's just as essential as the essential products that we manufacture for the pharmaceutical industry around here. And it's the best way I know how to make sense of the world. And that was especially driven home in the last couple of years that this is really where I'm supposed to be. But that is, I have no short way of talking about my background. <laughs> I apologize. All good. Uh, it's very interesting. Is, that's about as concise <laughs> as I think I can get it. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, and, and I know you talk about a lot of different things in those areas, but one thing that really caught my attention, especially for these days, is unlearning exhaustion. So let's dive into that. Where do we need to go first? Well, first, we need to talk about the Puritans. And I think that's probably not where anyone expected me to go. <laughs> but so we need to go back to the 1600s. And one of the, the, the things we need to realize is that North America was conquered by a pretty like original specific group of religious folks. Um, they they hit they did the the heralding as it were, and they're the first kind of settlement in in what is now the United States of of white folks was this group of people called the Puritans, and they were separatists from the Church of England. They were fleeing religious persecution, and they wanted to build heaven on earth in this new land. And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes along with that, but the important thing for our purposes today is that they had three very important cultural values. One is that the harder you work, the better a person you are. Two is that you need to do this alone, that success is a solo effort. Yeah. And three, you can sleep when you're dead. Oh yeah, I've heard that one a lot. <laughs> Rest is for later, work is for now. These may all sound familiar because what I just described is the American culture. Yes. So what happened was over four or five hundred years, people they were they the Puritans were financially successful, right? For a whole host of reasons, including that they slaughtered the indigenous population. But they were financially successful. So every immigrant that came in modeled themselves on that. And then unlike every other country on the planet to that point, the United States never had a state church. It never had another dominant narrative that that was separate from the pull yourselves up by your bootstraps theology of the Puritans. And we have baked it in to American culture and then we've exported it to everywhere. But it is really, it's, it's one of the things there's a lot in there too, about the um, Protestant work ethic and some other sociological things that, that are been tested and, and failed and everything else. But what it comes down to is all the statistics for the United States say that we're essentially the most burned out country on earth. And when I figure out why we're not the most Protestant, we're not the most, any other measure that, that people talk about, we're the ones that, 
never got another narrative. And so work became our identity. Productivity is our cultural value. It's how we measure our worth as a country. It's how we measure our worth as humans. One of the reasons we can't talk about the Korean War is that it wasn't a productive one. We can't talk about things that aren't productive. We don't know what to do with that. And so we just ignore it. We have this narrative that everything is to be done by yourself. And we only really care about people, especially since the 1980s, if they're hard workers. And so this is just kind of kept going. And so I frequently say in our, in our workshops and to our customers and our clients, you're not exhausted because you're broken. You're exhausted because you're American. And so a bubble bath isn't going to cut it. You got to unpack the beliefs that I just said. You've got to undo, you've got to work at it. Because otherwise, this is what every, this is the soup we swim in. And you're going to get it every way, all the time, no matter what. So you got to decide to believe that it's wrong. Yeah, it takes a while to to unlearn that. What, What suggestions do you have for changing the narrative? Well, first of all, this this sounds so trite, but it's not. You have to want to. Yeah, no, that's very true. So there's a there's a great line from an Avett Brothers song that says, decide what to be and go be it. And what it comes down to, all of my professional advice drills down to that line. Do you want to unlearn exhaustion? Cool, do it. Now, what's the pragmatics about that? One of the things that I recommend is coming up with a rest practice within your life. So I'm a, I'm a public theologian by one of my trainings. And one of the things that I love about the Jewish teachings of the Sabbath is that a huge part of the Sabbath is about realignment with the universe. That you take 24 hours a day, 24 hours out of a week to remember that you don't create things, you are created. And so it's about realignment. That Sabbath is rest is essentially about realignment. And I think about this American disease of exhaustion. And I think a huge part of it is that we need to cultivate space in our lives to realign ourselves, to remember exactly who we are and who we aren't. We are important, but we aren't imperative. And if we've designed a system in which we're imperative, then something is potentially wrong. I should also say, I am not a parent and I understand uh, nothing depends on me to live. I have no pets, no plants, no kids. (laughs) So none of this, I am not applying any of this necessarily to family life. But I think the principles work in which you can look for it in other places. My My pragmatic tips possibly don't work if you have a toddler. I respect that. But at some point, the toddler might sleep. And so you might figure out a way to do that. I know they don't sometimes. My my two-year-old niece currently is on a sleep strike. Oh. <laughs> but carve out rest. We hear this a lot in a lot of philosophy. You know, un- the universe will show up for you. Manifest these things. All of these kind of things. To me, it's the same principle. A mindset to understand that you are a piece of a gorgeous insane, wild tapestry, which means you can take a break. So carve a rest practice. And the other piece of that is to practice what a lot of social scientists and and, um, psychologists are now calling other care. So for me, self-care is about a realignment practice. 
and other care is about perspective. You have to remind yourself constantly that you're not alone. So is that showing up in service? It's so it's certainly showing up in relationship with somebody. Other being, you know, other caring is not scrolling social media. Other yeah. caring is cooking food. It's showing up to kids' baseball games. It's sitting in grief with people. So you 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 remember who you are to yourself and to the universe or whatever faith system you have. And then you remember who you are to the community around you. And you start there. Oh, I love it. it, it and a couple of things here too. Um, in that carving out that rest, because it is, it is quite the narrative, right? That we've built up not just for ourselves, but as a country, the whole culture. How do you suggest listeners deal with that little voice in their head that when you do, you know, carve out some time for some rest, for some other care, um, to handle that little voice in their head that's going to pop up? Uh, you know, and the guilt and uh, related to that. For sure. The first thing is to remember that guilt is an unproductive activity. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the first baby step, I have a couple friends that are burnout coaches. Um, there's a, a couple really great books that I recommend on burnout. Um, and so we, and boundary setting and some other things like that. And I know they want us all to get to the point where we're not talking about productivity at all, which I respect. But I think the baby step is to shift your brain to remember that rest is productive and guilt is unproductive. So if you're still wired to be productive all the time, rest is productive. And part of that is because your muscles need time to rest, your brain needs time to rest, your soul needs time to rest. You know, if you're a sports fan, like your favorite athletes don't work out the same body every single day, same piece of their body every single day. As academics, I can tell you that we certainly don't write the the same quality of things every day, you know, stuff like that. Um, so you, you still, you need to do that. But I think honestly, one of the first things to do is to acknowledge that that voice is going to be there. Like it, it's, what you are doing is countercultural. Yeah. <laughs> and anytime you do anything countercultural at the beginning, it feels weird. So Absolutely. the other thing is when we think about countercultural stuff, it's always easier in movements, right? So accountability partners are great, a group to do rest care with. So like, for instance, there's a lot of like float things or salt caves or stuff around there right now. And if you've got the financial means, let your rest be somewhere where you have to go somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't have the financial means, maybe that is a walk with, walk with somebody. Maybe that is, um, time sitting in silence. Maybe you can do five minutes a day at the beginning. Cool. Five minutes is great. You are winning. I'm so proud. <laughs> Without the phone. <laughs> Without the phone. I mean, now the, the thing that I do some days is I, um, start, I pick a song that is, is important to me. The lyrics are important to me. And I play that song three times through on repeat. So it's about nine minutes of my day, nine to 10 minutes of my day. And I focus on the words. And when I find myself drifting to something else, I come back to the words. So that works for me. My best friend and business partner, Aaron does yoga. She is, she practices pranayamic breathing every single day as best she can. We all have the little things. So pick a thing. I think one of the other patterns we've noticed as we've researched this and taught this is that the idea of being a better person is like so attractive, but so overwhelming. 
that everybody wants to, us to give them like a 12 step plan. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to give you the first one. Uh-huh. And then you're going to figure out the next one because you're going to see how your body and your soul respond to this one. Yeah. Pick a thing. Do the and thing. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Pick a thing, do the thing. It's <laughs> it's it's amazing how how often we don't do that. <laughs> now I know that there's someone out there thinking, probably. Um, okay, so let's say I'm on board. You know, I got this. I really want to change this. Everyone else around me, though, it's the culture. So in essence, I have to swim upstream, yeah, you know, like a salmon. <laughs> so what would be your advice for that? I'm very sorry. And you're probably just the first. Everybody else around you is just as burned out and exhausted. But if they're still performing perfection, that's really hard. But the internet is a beautiful and wild place full of people who have your story. Clubhouse is a great app if you're a talker and you want to talk this stuff out. Podcasts are amazing to listen to things. You are not alone, even if you are in your proximity. Or even believe you are in your proximity, right? So maybe once we actually start openly talking about this stuff, others will get on board more quickly. Yeah. And it's about honest conversation, I guess, to a certain extent. And I understand that that can be a privilege in a lot of circumstances and social situations. So the other thing is maybe you don't tell anybody about it for a little while. Maybe it's your thing for a little while until it's a habit. And then everyone knows it's your thing. My, my mentor, Trisha, very famously does not go out on weeknights. And she always says, it's my policy. <laughs> I love it. Because in order for her to show up the best way for her community and her life and her marriage, she doesn't go out on weeknights. And so I've started to adapt a lot of that language. It's my policy that I do this. And everybody knows this about Trisha. We may mock her a little bit. We may joke with her, but we love her and we know it's what's best for her. And so we say it's Trisha's policy. There you go. <laughs> and sometimes she breaks it. Sometimes she doesn't. Because the thing is, we are, in fact, the writers of our own lives. So it's going to be hard because you're changing patterns. You're rewriting your brain. You're rewriting your body. Those are hard things to do. If it was easy, you would have done it already. There's not a simple 12-step plan. <laughs> there is not. I'm sorry. No. Every marketing person wants me to like write blogs that are like the three no. steps to. And I'm like, oh, I can't though. It's lying. <laughs> you got to put in the work. You got to put in the intention and the time. Yeah, it's yeah. it sucks. I'm sorry. But anyone who says different is literally selling something. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything else we need to know about unlearning exhaustion before we get to your products or services? I would just caution you to remember that you are not what you output. That that's a lie that has been perfected and incredibly marketed by capitalism. But it's a lie. You are not your output. There are days you're going to believe that and there are days you're not. No journey is linear. So if you do this for a couple of days and then you can't on a Thursday, cool, try again on a Friday. You are not your output, even in unlearning this exhaustion culture. You are a human being, not a human doing. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's great. There's got to be, there's some social media quotes for you right there. <laughs> I will, I will certainly <laughs> let my graphic person know. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, can you share a little bit about your products or services with our listeners? Absolutely. So the best way for y'all to get in touch with us is our YouTube channel, which is Abby Research. We spell Abby with an E, A-B-B-E-Y. We are the good doctors of Abby Research. We also have a podcast called The Culture Cast, where we talk about culture, both popular and lived, and how we can use it to build our empathy. So those are the two best ways. We also do keynotes and workshops on things like unlearning exhaustion and what is wrong with the phrase self-care and um, how to build a more welcoming and inclusive community, why trauma needs to be re-understood. We do a lot of things like that, but you can find that all at our website, which is argooddoctors.com. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you. So uh, you've already provided like so many nuggets, but let's go with your final piece of advice for our listeners. Breathe deep and remember that fundamentally you have no idea what you're doing and you're not supposed to. Mm. The human experience is wild and weird and messy and beautiful and communal. And not knowing how to do this isn't weakness, it's human. So find people for the journey that you're on and walk it boldly because none of us know what we're doing. We have to figure it out together. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Kristen. Oh, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Kristen, visit her website at abby-research.com. Does your organization need a proven leadership development program? Visit ChristinaEans.com for more information.